Thank you for listening to this talk, produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Hello and welcome everyone to this lunchtime talk. My name is Maria Zagala, I'm the Associate Curator of Prints, Drawings and Photographs and also the Acting Curator of International Art pre-1980 here at the Gallery. It's my great pleasure today to give the lunchtime talk on uh, this marvellous diptych photograph by Anne Ferron called The Scenes on the Death of Nature 1 and 2 from 1986. And uh, in the dual roles that I occupy at the moment in a, as a curator of photography and a curator of international art, it was my great um, honour to install this work here in this gallery, Radical Classical. I felt that the work would find a home here and I hope you agree with me that it sits very comfortably. It's a really important photograph by a major contemporary Australian photographer. And in fact, the gallery acquired this work in 1989 and the curator who instigated that purchase was Julie Robinson. So I'm really thrilled that this work, which over time has come to be recognised as such an important piece in the history of Australian photography, is here in this collection. And in fact, Julie Robinson gave a lunchtime talk on this work in 1991. So this is the second lunchtime talk, but in a different context. So again, um, a little bit of background, really. I thought I would, um, well, really what prompted me to give the talk today on this work is that I have always been intrigued by it. It has an uh, power and I've always found it extremely compelling. I don't know if you agree with me. The work has something about it which is very authoritative and placing it here within this uh, context it makes uh, a lot of sense for me to see it in relation to the works here. But just to give you some background on uh, the work and the artist, um, Anne Ferron uh, is a Sydney based artist and she was born in 1949 she uh, trained at the Sydney College of the Arts and she began her studies at the age of 32. She was already a mother at that time. I think the mature age when she commenced her studies is significant. So in 1982, and then she completed her graduate diploma in 1987. And she made during her studies, she made two major series. The first was called Carnal Knowledge in 1984, and that was a series of photographs of her daughter and her daughter's friends. And that was shown to great acclaim. So as a, as a student already, she uh, gained immediate recognition and that series was shown at Perspecta in 1985. And then she followed up her next series with this work here, 
themes on the death of nature, which we have numbers one and two in the collection. As I mentioned, it's a diptych. And these two works are from a series of five. I'll just show you, I'll pass around some uh, images of uh, some of the other works in the series so you get a sense of um, the other works. I might ask you, Bernadette, to take these round. So the three that are being passed around are the others from the series. Now, Carnal Knowledge, the series that preceded the ones above, are here. And you can see this closely cropped uh, faces of young girls, prepubescent girls, that are being photographed through an effect that looks like marble or stone. So they almost look like they are stone, or they could be um, maybe from a, uh, a sculpture in a cemetery, some kind of, um, they evoke some kind of funerary um, sense. I'll pass those around as well. So yes, the power of these, this work. Uh, it's important really to speak about this work in relation to carnal knowledge, the series that came before. Because in a way, what Anne Ferrin is doing in this series is a response to um, the success that she had with carnal knowledge. So carnal knowledge, that already that title is um, heavily loaded uh, and referencing the, um, this series, which is about the coming of age and uh, the discovery of sexuality of these young girls. A and it's a topic that she continued with this um, series as well. However, uh, Anne Ferrin uh, took on a very specific uh, approach with this series and that is to consider a critique of representation that was also allowing for pleasure. And she was educated uh, at the Sydney College of the Arts and very immersed in women's studies and thinking about the representation of women and women's desire of their bodies. It was a topic that was uh, close to her and she was thinking about the uh, methodology that she could use in photography to explore this subject. There's something uh, wonderfully opaque, almost, about the works that you see above. They might be about that topic, and yet this is, I think, partly what their power rests on. Anne Ferrin opens up a space for, well, pleasure and critique. And she's using a formal language which draws on 
the history of art and in particular the code of representation which is identified and recognised as classical. So in her first series, Carnal Knowledge, she was praised for um, making works that seemed to uh, critique representation, so critique the gaze. And she felt that that praise was in fact unfounded and that it put too much onto the works, it gave them too much credit. So she's an artist who really investigates and interrogates the power of uh, image making and her role as an artist. And she decided to do something quite counterintuitive, and that is to make a body of work that was a critique of uh, the representation of women in art, but to do it in a way that was allowed for the space of pleasure, pleasure of um, representation, of looking, and she hoped that the imagery would allow for that space to critique. Now, I say all of that and I realise those words sound very obtuse, so I'm going to draw on the words of the artist herself in a artist statement, she said, these images come from a body of work collectively titled Scenes on the Death of Nature. They are large, approximately life-size, black and white photographs. In this work, I'm still interested in dealing with a particular problem, which is to show the female body and to allude to femi feminine sexuality or, more correctly, to the representation of it in such a way that the images are both visually, aesthetically pleasurable and critically productive. And she says she draws on this sort of very obvious classical repertoire of aesthetics, a whole economy of expressions, gestures and poses which in the end is one of restraint more than of anything else. So this notion of restraint is really important to Anne Ferrin and as an extension, not just of restraint, but of uh, what she describes as a regulation of the body, which is a term that the critic uh, Catriona Moore noted is something that Anne Ferran is particularly interested in. The regulation of the body. And when I look at you know, this work, just to make a few formal observations, as I mentioned, you know, the figures are life-size. Why is that significant? So they're monumental, they have a sense of, um, it's a size that's unexpected in photography. So it's only really at this time that photography takes on this monumental large scale. It aligns 
the imagery closer, if you like, with cinema in its scale. Uh, the figures are uh, life-size. They're dressed in these very simple um, garments, which are specifically made to resemble the garments of classical sculpture. There are no props, so Anne Ferrin has deliberately left out anything that might identify the scene. And she has staged the figures in an arrangement where the girls are reclining or moving in a way that's very uh, passive and they are not looking at each other. So their gazes do not meet, nor do they look out and provoke us, the viewer, with a direct gaze. So all of those um, elements are important. Um, it's the whole body that is visible, not just the face. So here she's interested in letting the whole body speak. The models are in fact her daughter, again, and her daughter's friends, and they're around 13. And Anne Ferrin described the use of her daughter as a model as something that grew out of her practice spontaneously. It was practical, she needed the model, her daughter was available, but also that, that became extremely important to her in bridging her um, work as an artist theoretically and personally, her lived experience, how to connect her lived experience with her theoretical concerns and bringing her daughter into her art as a model allowed her to do that. I'm going to read a quote from Anne Ferrin about this process because I find it absolutely fascinating. She said in 1986, at the time she made these works, and she's speaking about actually carnal knowledge, but it extends to this series as well. The faces in the photographs are those of my daughter and her friends. There are in quotes, good reasons, personal, pragmatic, strategic, not to make maternal feelings the subject of art practice. But there are benefits. It makes for one kind of connection between personal experience and other more public orders of knowledge. And it turns out the maternal is not an ordinary state, but a potentially explosive one. It is no accident that the Madonna and child is, like the nude, one of the most highly conventionalised in all representations. The maternal held in check so firmly that it can't break out and overflow its imposed boundaries. I think of that quote and her motivation because to me it really describes vividly the tension that exists in the work, which is highly staged, which is highly contained, ordered, controlled, 
where Anne Ferrin is so careful about the gestures that she poses her models in to con convey this feeling of control, of containment. And what she's saying, I think, in her quote, is that containment is imposed. And, you know, even looking in this gallery, if we look at the Madonna and Child on the wall over there, a 19th century French academic painting, you see how conventionalised that representation of a maternal uh, figure is. And um, myself at the moment in the trenches with a four-year-old broken down by the um, excesses, the messiness of the process of mothering, it makes me think about how exactly she's speaking of the, um, the space that's really not allowed for in public expression. So this work really is about that sense of containment, the control, and, um, and she's using that language, the rhetoric of those gestures in a very uh, controlled and careful way. Um, it is a tableau vivant, so this arrangement of figures, it's uh, objects posed specifically and it's, as it is a kind of impure form and Adrian Martin, a really wonderful film critic, described it as kind of not wholly one thing or the other because it simultaneously draws on theatre, moving image, still image and fiction. And he identifies the quality in this work as that of trembling with tension. So we gaze at the photographs which are perpetually frozen moment of torsion as if trying to animate themselves in order to take their place as simply passing frames in some unknown imaginary film. And that frozen moment, he says, it echoes as though escaped from the past, the past world. They call us back to lost unities, profoundly nostalgic and melancholic. And I think the work does have something of that in it, and in fact speaks more broadly to why works in this gallery are brought together, works that were made centuries apart. There's a sense of the drawing upon a tradition, the classical tradition, one that represents unity, order, harmony, grace, and that that language, visual language, is drawn on by generations of artists in a very specific way. And it is a form of um, representation which is very melancholic. You could even say that of the Richard Wilson behind me or the Claude Lorraine next to it. So this series by Anne Ferrin is, um, has this title the scenes on the death of nature, which is very open and enables uh, us as the viewer to consider it 
the work in many different directions and i think that is its power and why as a work from the mid eighty's it continues to have this power and during that time you know where photographers such as um, Anne Zaholka, Julie Rapp, Bill Henson to name a few were making really uh, large photographs, staged photographs that were really in, in investigating this uh, connection of photography to truth, pulling it apart and making us aware of its construction. And Ferrin's work, I think, really uh, stands out um, and continues to have this um, timeless appeal precisely because of this language that she's employing of the, um, the classical. Thank you. Um, are there any questions? Yes, uh, Shane. Maria, thanks for the talk. Uh, in the last 30 years, uh, how has her career progressed? Do you know, she's been extremely active as a photographer. She exhibits almost every year and has produced major series. Um, it's interesting when I think about carnal knowledge then uh, this series, the next series uh, she made was about, um, made after a residency in Paris, and it references specifically the French doctor Charcot and his photographs of hysteric women. And her career, she's continually been interested in, in women's stories, and um, I think some of the most um, powerful work that she's made recently was about Tasmania and about sites of female um, incarceration. So, and you may remember uh, a few years ago there was a photograph of a dress that was in Gallery 15 and that was her work as well. So in fact her visual vocabulary is varied and the works that she's made most recently about Tasmania are colour photographs and they're of uh, landscape almost, or rather mounds, so physical sites that are places of trauma. So returning to them and trying to bring those stories out. Yeah. Yes? I find the title intriguing. Has she said anything more about that title? She said that it's, she specifically chose it, um, the title, in order to suggest multiple readings. So, yes, but it's not, it's not called, you know, like carnal knowledge is a very uh, direct, provocative title for her previous series, and um, which provokes the viewer to read the works in a very specific way. So thinking about the, um, the erotic teenage body, female body, but even though this series is about that too, she's trying to create that distance and the title allows for that too. Mm. Yes? Has she attracted any controversy at all by No, not that I'm aware of. She has attracted 
an enormous amount of critical writing. So I've quoted from Kate Triona Moore and Adrian Martin. Ross Gibson is another writer who wrote the catalogue essay for this series when it was first exhibited in Sydney. Um, and so she's highly respected as a thinker and for her intellectual engagement with photography and art. And so she's not controversial, but she certainly elicits a great deal of, of writing and generates a lot of discussion. Well, thank you for your attention um, this afternoon and enjoy the um, photograph. It will be on display for a couple of more months and then it will have to come down to rest. Thank you.